You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This week, guest speaker Christine Fisher brought us a great message about how to get closer to God as we head into the new year. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. That's wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Let's get right into it. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year's Eve morning, right? That's a mouthful. So um, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, We got back in town on Thursday after visiting our son and daughter-in-law and our grandchildren uh, for Christmas, and uh, we had our share of uh, cookies and pies and baklava and you name it. You know, we tried to leave all the cookies with them, but they said, no, we'll take two, you take the rest home. So, uh, you know, this is a day when a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. How many people are really glad that 2023 is over? Can I see? Yeah. like. For some people, for some of us, there were just struggles, right? Uh, either we didn't get the job we hoped we got, we're looking forward to, we lost somebody really dear to us and our family, maybe we didn't meet all of our goals. Uh, there's just a million reasons why it's just nice to celebrate the end of one year. But how many of you are really happy to see 2024 come? Do you have some expectations, some goals, right? Right, I know I am. I'm very excited about it. Um, And I read a Barna survey that said that two-thirds of all Americans make New Year's resolutions. Are you guys, do you make resolutions anymore? Anybody? No? A couple? Okay, that's good. Um, I like to set goals and write them down so that I can look uh, at the end of the year and tick off. I'm kind of a list person, but... Uh, They say that most resolutions have to do with weight, health, and diet, which is no surprise because, you know, we're kind of full from Thanksgiving and then Christmas and that sort of thing. Uh, But I wonder if, why is it that we feel like just turning the calendar one day gives us all this hope? You know, it's just another day, right? But it isn't. So... um, I think part of it is that we look forward to being a new version of ourselves. Anybody else would like to be a new version of you? You know, kind of like, yeah, okay, there's a couple. Um, I know I do. There's always things I want to leave in the past and things I hope are going to happen in the future. Um, So maybe you've never made a New Year's resolution. Maybe you've never been disappointed when you weren't able to fulfill it, but I, I bet you've had some version of that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to see what the Bible says about becoming a new version of yourself, because the Bible has a lot to say about that. And we're going to be looking at two different characters, one in the New Testament and one in the Old Testament. Both these men were very different. They had very different lifestyles and different ways to come to know God. But I think there's something in it for us to learn. So as I go through these two examples, I want you to listen and say, which one do you identify most with? And the first one is the Apostle Paul. Now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tom preached a message called, The Gospel Provokes Change. 
And if you haven't heard it, it'd be really worth your time to go back and listen to it because he talks about how the Apostle Paul used to be Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the early church. I mean, he made it his ambition. I mean, he was so passionate about going house to house, knocking on the door, seeing if there's any Christians, rounding them all up, throwing them into prison. I mean, this was his passion because he felt that they were doing the wrong thing. He didn't understand the Jesus movement. As a matter of fact, he writes in Romans, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, it's, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. Now, when you read this, Paul wrote this after he had his conversion, and yet he's struggling, right? Does it sound like he's got it all together? Mm -mm. Does it sound like he has complete victory over his sinful nature? No. So then you think, well, what hope is there for us? So what does it mean for us today? So just back a little bit before his conversion, Saul is on the road to Damascus to arrest some more Christians, and he is met on the road by this blinding light. I mean, it's so brilliant that he's knocked off his horse and he hears these words from Jesus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And until this moment, he was living a life he thought was righteous, but it was full of sin. And so the Bible says that he was taken to a nearby town, given a bed to lay down, and he was actually struck blind. So for three days and three nights, he laid there completely blind, repenting, praying, crying, saying, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. He didn't know he was persecuting Jesus. And for three days, he wept openly. And the Bible says that on the third day, he got up, got something to eat, and got water baptized. And something remarkable happened. After the, that repentance, then the water baptism, when he came up out of the water, he was a new creation. All of his sins had been washed away. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he was the worst. He calls himself the worst of all sinners, and here he is, a new creation. There's only one problem. Not all the rest of the Christian world knew that. So when they heard that this new Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, was coming to preach, they are like, oh, no, we heard about him. He kills Jews. He arrests Jews. And so he had a lot of overcoming, right? And we think, like, how is it that he had this amazing transformation? He was... He saw the risen Christ, he was completely changed, and yet he still struggles with sin. Hmm. He says in Romans, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So what does this mean for us today? We know that if uh, Paul, who had this encounter with Christ, still struggle with sin. Is that, does that kind of discourage you? Well, it can, but here's the thing. Struggling is not failing. 
Struggling is not failing. It's, the bad news is as long as we have a physical body, it's going to want to do what it wants to do. But the good news is that we don't have to lose the battle. Uh, our son, Mike, used to uh, be in these mixed martial arts competitions, right? And so um, talk about struggle for I forget how many minutes, but it's just two men on a mat, and there's a referee, and there's a timer, and they each try to get the other one to submit. I mean, you're talking about red in the face, you know, veins popping out, and they have to get the other opponent in a place of submission till they tap out. But the thing is, even in a struggle, there's always a victor. So if you're struggling today with a sin or a memory or a depression or an anxiety, don't judge yourself for struggling. We're always going to struggle. The fact is, are we winning the struggle by being victorious over our fleshly, sinful desires. And that can only happen with the power of Jesus in us, right? So, Paul continues to write in Titus, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we'll inherit eternal life. So, like Saul, who became the Apostle Paul today, uh, you may have things you want to forget and leave in 2023. I know I do. I spent maybe too much time focusing on me, or my problems, or how am I going to do this, or how am I going to do that, and, you know, I, I feel like God was kind of trying to reorient me to, to really focus on what can I do to bless somebody else? What can I do to help somebody else? What can I do to serve in any way God chooses? So, but like Paul, he had to forget his past, forget all the sin that he had uh, done, uh, he had to forget his shame. Uh, maybe you have had a tr an issue with anger in your life uh, and unforgiveness. That was a huge one for me this year. I felt like I, I had this lump of unforgiveness in my heart for some, some situation. And once I let it go, it was like complete freedom. So maybe you um, have been facing fear about what's coming next. Maybe you've had issues with anxiety. Maybe somebody in your life is going through depression or even thoughts of suicide. Whatever it is, this is the time, today's the time to let it go and say, Lord, I'm going to put it in the past because it's in the past. I'm going to hope for you to do something new. And we know that when we let go of these fears and anxieties and control, it leaves room for the Lord to pour out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. We have to be less of ourselves to have more of God, more of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, well, that's one character in the New Testament. But there was another character I'd like to contrast in the Old Testament who had a very different life. He wasn't a Pharisee that went around arresting Jews. He was actually had a very great lineage of faith in his family. His name is Joseph, 
and he was alive in uh, the book of Genesis. Um, and talk about lineage, his great-grandfather was Abraham. His father, his great, his grandfather was Isaac, his father was Jacob, and he was the uh, 11th son of 12. So the problem with Joseph, even though he was raised in a godly family, and he learned to serve God, he had just had a few little issues. Turns out that his father thought he was the special one. Out of 12 boys, he was the one that his father doted all of his love on because he was, first of all, born in his, his father's old age, and second of all, he was uh, the son of Jacob's favorite wife. Now, I know this is going to sound weird, uh, but in the Old Testament, sometimes men had more than one wife, which there's no way I would, like, be part of that. <laughs> right, women? <laughs> yeah, and guys, do not smile or laugh because that, you know, you're going to get it later. But, uh, yeah, in those days, uh, Jacob had Leah and Rachel. Well, he loved Rachel the most. And so her first son, Joseph, was like the promised child. And everybody knew it because his father got him a coat of you know, many colors. Maybe you remember that from, from Sunday school. And Joseph didn't like, oh, thanks, Dad. I'm going to put it in the closet so I don't make my brothers jealous. No, he wore it. He like, look, look at this, you know, Dad's favorite, you know. He, he was a little bit uh, immature in that, a little prideful in that. So his oldest brothers actually grew to hate him passionately. And to make matters worse, Joseph had two dreams, and he couldn't wait to tell his brothers. Guess what? I had a dream that I was in the center. I was like a shaft of wheat, and you all were around me, and your shafts of wheat bowed down to us, to me. And they thought, uh, uh, no. He said, we're the oldest. We're, we are the ones that have respect. We're the ones, you know, that should be bowed down to. So they didn't like that. Well, then he had another dream, and again, he, Joseph was not good at reading the room, if you know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of passive aggressiveness in this family, but he just blew in one morning and said, guess what, I had another dream. Uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars all revolved around me. And his brother said, okay, that's it. We've had enough of Joseph. So he uh, was sent out to check on his older brothers in the field one day, and they said, here comes that dreamer. I think we should do away with him. We're going to kill him today. And the oldest brother said, no, we don't want his blood on our hands. Why don't we just, hey, I know there's a pit here. Why don't we just throw him in the pit, and then uh, we'll just tell Dad we don't know where he is. Well, what happened is they saw a caravan, camels coming through, and they were on their way to Egypt, and they said, we could sell him and make some money, and then we'll just tell Dad a story. So they bring him out of the pit, sell him for 20 shekels of silver, and they take his beautiful robe, tear it up, kill an animal, put it in some blood, and then they brought it to his dad and said, guess what, I, th I don't know, what do you think, maybe an animal killed Joseph? So they completely washed their hands of it. They got rid of him, so they thought. So Joseph got sold to a wealthy man in Egypt. His name was Potiphar, 
and he was the head of the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's prison. And the thing about Joseph is, I mean, if I was in that situation, I don't know if I could have done what he did. He, the, in Genesis 39-2, it said the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeed, succeeded in everything he did as he served. He served Potiphar like it was his own father in his homeland. He did everything with integrity, everything with purpose. He honored God by how he served. And this is a, a big lesson for me. And it's something that I hope that ministers to you too, because sometimes we're in a season that we didn't ask for, we're in a season that we didn't expect, we're in a season that we definitely don't want. But what's our attitude? Do we continue to serve God with all of our heart? I had to ask myself that, because I know I have been guilty of it. So the problem was he became second in the house of Potiphar. So Potiphar was away, let's say, doing some business. Joseph's there in charge of the whole house. And his, uh, Potiphar's wife kind of takes notice of him because he's young, he's handsome, he's strong. And she gets an idea that maybe, you know, so she goes to Joseph, calls him into her chambers, and she tries to seduce him. And instead of saying, no, I couldn't do that to Potiphar, Joseph says, I can't do that to God. He knows God's watching him. He knows God is seeing everything he's doing. And so he runs out of her room. Unfortunately, she grabs his coat. And so when Potiphar comes back home, Potiphar's wife lies and said, look what that slave you bought did. He came into my bedroom, and here's proof, here's his coat, he left it in my chamber. So Potiphar just believes his wife. He throws Joseph in prison. So now, let's see, he's gone from being the favorite son of his father to being a slave, and now he's in prison. So things are going from bad to worse, right? And yeah, he remembers, wait a minute, I had these dreams. I know God said he was going to make me a great person, but what does he continue to do? He doesn't complain to God. He doesn't. Now, I know the old me totally be a self-pity party right there. You know, I'd be sitting in prison going, this is not the way I had planned it. But he continues to serve God. And it says in Genesis 39, 21 through 23, while Joseph was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph again in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So here is a favorite again. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Again, Joseph submits to God in the season he's in. He's patient, he serves God, and he trusts God, I, I don't think you're going to leave me here. So, we have to ask ourselves, do we faithfully serve God in whatever season we're in? Something to think about for this new year. So while Joseph is in prison, he, one of the fellow prison, prisoners is uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. 
they were found uh, to be uh, in displeasure, so they were thrown into prison. They, had, they each have a dream. Joseph interprets it correctly. They get reinstated to Pharaoh, and uh, they forget all about them. They, he, Joseph says, just remember me when you get out, because I haven't done anything wrong. And unfortunately, they do forget about him, and he stays in prison. But eventually, Pharaoh has some dreams that the only one that person that can interpret it is Joseph. He's brought up from prison, and he interprets two of Pharaoh's dreams about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And this pleased Pharaoh so much that he made Joseph the head of this great project of saving grain for the years of famine. Isn't that amazing? In one day, his whole life changed from prison to being the second in command of all of Egypt. You know, you can have, we can have that kind of transformation. You don't know what God has for you tomorrow or next month or next year. Your whole life can change in an instant. You just have to stay faithful and serve the Lord. So what happens is Joseph's family comes to Egypt because they hear, they, they get in the famine in the second seven years. They're desperate for food, so they go to Egypt, ready to buy some food, having no idea that Joseph is alive, no idea that Joseph was, you know, promoted to the second in, in the whole land. And Joseph says, oh my gosh, here's my brothers in front of me. They don't recognize him because he's speaking through an interpreter, and he looks like an Egyptian, and there's his brothers who wanted to kill him right in front of him. And he knows he has the power to throw them into prison if he wants. But he, he sees that God used what they did for evil, God did for good. If there's something in your life that you're going through and you say, I don't see how God could use this, just wait. Because God loves us so much that he's behind the scenes of everything that happens with us. And Joseph, when he finally reveals himself, to his brothers, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, and I forgive you. You wanted to destroy me, but God meant it for good. So all of Joseph's family comes from Egypt. They come and given the best land of Goshen, and they survive. So we know that Joseph is called a type of Christ or shadow of Christ, and that means a person or a thing in the Old Testament believed to foreshadow another in the New Testament. And so Joseph really just points to Christ. Just like Joseph, Jesus' friends and family rejected him. Just like Joseph, Jesus was resurrected out of a pit. Just like Joseph was sold for a price of a slave, so was Jesus. And the greatest act of evil meant towards Joseph and Jesus, God meant for good. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing it for evil, but you're doing it for good. Because by God's, Jesus said, by my death, I will completely pay for all the sins of the world. He's, 
you know, can you imagine when you look at somebody you consider an enemy, you go, I know you meant it for evil. I know you meant to hurt me, but God's going to use it for good because I'm going to forgive you. So are you more like Joseph or Saul, Paul? I'm a little bit of both, definitely more of a Paul type, came to the Lord late in life. But as we go into this new year, um, I'd like you to consider making uh, a few steps to get closer to God. Back to the Barna study, nine out of 1,000 people on the survey about the new year. That's less than 1%. Their goal was to get closer to God. But that's something that is, affects everything. And so I'd like to uh, close by suggesting a few steps we can take. We're going to be having communion in a few minutes um, and then go into a time of worship and time of prayer. But consider immersing yourself in the word of God like you never have before. There's something about reading the word of God and his spirit just fills our brain and our mind. Uh, spend some quality time in prayer. Not just a quick boop, 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 you know, but just sit and listen to him. Whatever question you have about, what am I going to do about this uh, medical diagnosis? What am I going to do about my marriage? What am I going to do about my job? What am I, you know, all these questions. What do you have for me next year? Just ask him and he will show you. So the growth and change that we desire to become a new version of ourselves means surrendering the control that we've had, giving it to God, trusting God, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus this year, and be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to invite Dave Fisher out. Uh, he's going to lead us in some time of communion. And just think about what you'd like to surrender today to make New Year a new version.